be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said in verse 51, Do, have you understood all these things? Now, when I read this parable, two things mainly stand out to me. Number one, it's a parable of an end time harvest. But it's also a parable of end time judgments. These are things that we cannot escape from. Each and every one of us are going to be held accountable before the Lord. Each and every one of us are going to stand before the Lord. And there's going to be a separation process. And depending on what we have done when we heard the gospel, what have we done with the preaching of the gospel, what have we done regarding the person of Christ will determine what our eternal destination will be. Now here, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like and unto a dragnet. In other words, this is how the kingdom of God operates. And several of the other parables, quite frankly, express pretty much the same message. The, the, the parable of the tares, the one who sowed good seed, and how it was mixed with bad seed, tares among the wheat. And how at the end of the age, the angels are also released. It's the same message, but expressed in a different way. This is how the kingdom of God operates. The reality is that there is good mixed in with the evil and evil mixed in with the, with the good. But the reality is that there's going to be a separation at, at one point in the future when we stand before the Lord. Notice that when the dragnet is thrown out, if you don't know what a dragnet is, pretty much a massive, massive fishing net. And the fishing net is weighed down by weights to keep the net in the water to, so he can reach the bottom. Usually the dragnet is suspended between several boats and the boats in, in, uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in unity, they just kind of float along the water until they begin to just drag the net. And anything that's on the bottom of the ocean, bottom of the sea, is actually dragged by this net. If there's junk in there, it's caught in there. Good fish, bad fish. Scavenger fish, good tasting fish. How many of you are fishermen in this place? All right, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you probably can express it much better than I can, but I think I got it pretty much down pat. Whatever is in the net, whatever it's dragging, it's being dragged along the bottom of the seabed. And it's the reason why it's being is able to grab all this stuff is because of the weights that keep the net to the bottom. And so it says right here that. We all are going to be either be a part of the net because it says there that it gathers, for example, it says right there, it gathered some of every kind. It doesn't say that it gathered everything of every kind, but only some of every kind, which means there are people that will simply refuse the gospel. They'll want nothing to do with God. They're not going to be caught into the net. But we know what their eternal destination is going to be. But Jesus is actually talking about the ones that are gathered in the net. So not everybody is caught in the net. But there are those that say, yes, I want to be a part of this kingdom movement. Or I want to be a part of the gospel message. Or I want to be a part of the church. But even within those that are in the net, the Bible says they're good and then there are bad. 
And that's the point of this message. In reality, we could really say that the ones that are not caught in the net, we know for sure they're the wicked, they're the unbelievers. And the one that Jesus, the ones that Jesus is going to deal with are the ones that are in church. Or they're the ones that have made a profession of faith. But only know, only God knows, only the Holy Spirit knows the ones that are truly true believers in heart. Only the Holy Spirit knows that. You know, I've been able to travel all over the world, and I'm sure you have too, and you've had many opportunities to preach in many different churches or outdoor events or conferences and seminars or uh, evangelistic outreaches, and it's wonderful to be able to throw the net, throw the net, and, and by preaching the gospel, what is the net? The net is the message of the kingdom. <laughs> That's what the net is. The net is the gospel. The net is the word of the Lord. And every time, and this is not just for Pastor Jason or myself or any pastor leaders or any bishops or apostles or any fivefold minister. This is for each and every one of us. Every single one of us have a net that's been assigned to us. We all have a net. Amen? Remember when in Matthew chapter 4, you know, Peter and Andrew... They're on the shore on the Sea of Galilee with their boat and their father is along with them. And the Bible says that as Jesus is walking along the seashore, he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're throwing a net into the sea. And Jesus says, great, you're fishermen, but if you follow me, I'm going to make you into a fisherman. Of, you're fishermen, but I'll make you into fishers of souls. I'll teach you to become how to fish for men, how to fish for souls. That's the operation of the kingdom. And I believe in this day and this hour, more than ever before, at least more that I could remember, there is an urgency to share the gospel. I believe we're going to start hearing messages frequently all across internet, all across Sunday morning church services. We're going to hear teachings about the importance of preaching the gospel, sharing our faith, not just being comfortable coming to church. And I'm speaking to the choir. I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to Pastor Jason. I believe that the Lord is going to put impressing, especially his leadership, encourage your people, encourage my people, provoke them. This is the hour to preach the gospel. This is the hour not to hide in our church buildings. This is the hour not to hide behind closed doors this is the hour to share our faith look for opportunities I believe that Jesus is coming very soon I really believe that and I know they've been saying that for decades and for centuries but every generation should live and should have that mindset Jesus is coming in my lifetime there needs to be a sense of urgency if we really believed that Jesus was coming in our lifetime then each and every one of us, including myself, we would feel that urgency to share the good news of salvation. It's the good news that secures people's souls for eternity. It's the good news that's going to set captives free. It's the good news that sets people from all kinds of addictions and all kinds of bondages. It's the good news that brings salvation and brings hope to the hopeless. It's the good news that sets somebody free from suicide thoughts.
The gospel does that. That's what the gospel means. Good news. How many of you can say you experienced good news? Amen? Jesus said, freely you have received. Now freely give. Let's learn to be givers. And one way that we could learn to be givers, we could study strategies in scriptures of how evangelism is done. I think sometimes we have, we have this certain concept that, you know, if we're going to be soul winners, it's got to be dramatic. It's got to be flashy. It's got to be loud. It's got to be big. It's got to be extravagant. I mean, when you look at the example of Jesus and how he evangelized, it was through conversations. Remember the woman at the well? It was just conversations. I remember I was walking through um, the airport in Mexico City. And I was on my way to the gate, and I'm the kind of person, I like to get to the airport really early. You know, especially, I don't mess with, especially overseas flights, I'm there three, four hours early. I don't like those long lines, and so I like to get there early, and I got there early, and I got through the line very, very, very quickly. May, on my way to my gate, oh, I can't wait to get to the gate and then find the, uh, you know, the, the Delta Lounge and just chill and just relax. On my way, and I'm like, Lord, I did my job, you know, all this week, week and a half in Mexico. Now it's my time. And then the Lord says, oh, really? And I'm walking towards the gate, and as I'm walking towards the gate, I feel drawn to my left side. And when I look to the left side, there was a souvenir store. And there was only one person in that souvenir store. And that was the lady that was working in there. And I'm like, oh, Lord, let me just get, let me just chill. And I says, just go in there. And I ignored it. So I said, Carlos, go in there. And so I finally make a U-turn. I go back in there. And I make believe like I was shopping. You know, because I didn't know how to start the conversation. Well, she started it for me. She says, can I help you, sir? And I said, no, but I think I can help you. And it became a conversation. To make a long story short, she says, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't know why, but I'm a minister, and I felt to come in here because I felt like you have a need, and there's something you need prayer about. And the moment I said that, she began to tear up. She says, well, I have a five-year-old boy, and he's in and out of hospitals constantly because he battles asthma, and I've lost him almost a couple of times. And when she said that, I came alive. I said, oh, I said, good news for you. I said, when I was five years old, I had asthma until the age of 19. And I also was in and out of hospitals. I also almost died because of the asthma that I was afflicted with. But I have good news. Jesus healed me of that asthma. And the Jesus that touched me can also touch your son. Do you believe this? Yes, yes. She began to weep and we prayed for her son. I haven't seen her since then. But why would the Lord lead me? To connect with a woman who has a son who at the age of five had the same situation that I did unless the Lord meant to do something about it. Our job is simply to just be faithful, open our mouth, and let the results be in the Lord's hands. That's our job. And many times evangelism or just sharing our faith. You know, I think sometimes we put the pressure on ourselves that I got to close a deal. <laughs> I gotta see the I gotta see the harvest now. Right? And we think, well, you know, what's the use? That person, that person, there's no way that person's gonna come to Christ. Maybe the Lord just wants you to sow the seed, and that's your job in the process. Or maybe someone has already sowed the seed and he wants you to come and water that seed. Hello? That's all it takes. 
The Lord knows where people are at and where their hearts are at. And he's simply asking us to make ourselves available. We're going to start hearing teachings. I believe it's going to pick up in, 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 in the amount of kinds of sermons that are being brought. Teachings on eternity. Teachings on judgment. Teachings on hell. Do you know that Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else in the scriptures? Jesus spoke about hell. One of his top topics, top themes, top teachings was about eternity. He spoke about the importance of stewardship more than any other topic. Stewardship, being faithful, not only with our resources. And people, when people think of stewardship, they automatically go to money. That's only a part of it. But stewardship regarding our giftings, what God makes available to us, the influence that he's given to us. Stewardship is the number one thing that Jesus spoke about. But he spoke very, very highly also about the eternal estates of the human soul. Hell is a reality. I know that many in this day and this hour don't want to think about hell. Oh, they don't accept hell as a reality. But it's a reality. Jesus taught on hell over and over and over again. Why should we be ashamed? I think, I think we don't want to accept hell because I think we don't understand the full depravity of what sin is in the eyes of God. And when we don't understand the severity of sin, we, try to, we treat it lightly. It's not a big deal. You know, God is merciful. God is kind. And so God has to have another way. There is no other way, beloved. It's a serious business. Jesus died because of sin. Jesus went to hell because of sin. You know he went to hell, right? He didn't go to hell to suffer. He went to hell to preach. Hallelujah. Can you imagine what it must have been like when he showed up in hell in Abraham's bosom? He says, hey, Jeremiah, I'm the one you preached about. Isaiah, 53? That's me. You wrote about me, Isaiah. Daniel, the son of man that you saw approach the ancient of days, here he is, the son of man. Jesus went to paradise to confirm to the prophets, I'm the one you prophesied about. I'm the one you wrote about. I am he. I am the son of man. I am that son of God. I am that Messiah. I am that king you prophesied about. Zechariah, I am that prince. I am the one. I am that son of David that's going to take the throne. David, I am the son. I know you thought it was Solomon and he fulfilled a, short, a small piece of it, but I am the fulfillment of your son. That's what Jesus went. He went to hell to confirm that their message was right. Abraham, I am that son. I am the true Isaac. You thought you were called to sacrifice your son and you thought that the blessing was only going to be in Isaac. No, I am the full Isaac. Moses, I am the latter-day Moses. That's what the gospel offers, beloved. That's why Jesus paid the price so that none should perish. In this dragnet parable is our opportunity to co-labor with God and partner with the Holy Spirit so that none would perish. Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish. Go with me, if you will, real quick to 1 Timothy in chapter 2. Let's look at this for a second. I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you here today. 1 Timothy and chapter 2. Look with me, if you will, at verse 1. 
And then we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Oh, I love the scriptures. How many of you love the word of the Lord? Look what it says right here. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Oops, man, my pages are sticking together. There we go. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercessions should be given and made thanksgiving for all men, especially, look at verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. That goes well with what we're going to do later on outside. For kings and for all those who are in authority. Why? Why should we care who's ruling and leading? So that we can all live and lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. That's why we need good leaders. But then he goes on to say, this is good. In other words, it is good to have leaders that are favorable to the church. When leaders are favorable to the church, the church has more freedom to preach the gospel. Do you see that clearly? We have more freedom to preach the gospel. I, listen, I've been to Russia multiple times, maybe 10, 15 times, Ukraine, but may, in Russia. And when I, the first times I went to Russia back in 19, early 1990s, and I started going back several times, sometimes twice a year, it was, it was incredible how free it was to preach the gospel. The, the Iron Curtain had just fallen, and these Russian people... They were just so open because, wow, the gospel is freely preached. And, of course, the first thing they did was to invite, invite Western preachers, Americans, because for whatever reason, they think that only Americans have the, you know, the true revelation of the word of God. It's not true. We have a portion of it, but that was the first thing they did. They invited, they opened the door, and the floodgates opened to, to the Western church. And thank God that we took advantage of that, meaning the, the, the body of Christ. But I remember the freedom that they had to be able to preach the gospel. As of a few years ago, it's illegal to now preach the gospel openly in Russia. You will be arrested. That's why I haven't been invited back. Seriously, the pastor's not allowed to invite me back because he knows that as an American, I, they have to go through a process and get a special religious visa. If not, then the church could be arrested and be closed down for good. And so I know what it's like to see the freedom and then all of a sudden how it's restricted. When the gospel is restricted, the temptation is to have a bless me club. But when the gospel... Now, you can, have, you can still have governmental restrictions, and then the bold are going to preach the gospel anyway. Amen? Like Peter and the apostles, and, you know, they said, we would rather obey God. We're called to obey God than over man. But the truth is, the matter of the fact is that the majority in the church will begin to be intimidated. We need to have freedom to preach the gospel. And then Paul goes on to say and say this. Why? Because God desires for all men. To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is the desire of the Lord for the net to grab each and every one of us. Go to 2 Peter in chapter 3 for a moment. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look, if you will, at verse number, go to verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count as slackness. In other words, uh, he's, 
He said he's going to come, but he's just chilling. He's not really fulfilling his promise. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is why the Lord is long-suffering. This is why the Lord, believe it or not, this is why the Lord, if you remember the parable of the tares, he says, let them, no, no, don't pull out the tares yet. Let them both grow to fullness. Because the Lord knew that there was other seed that had not yet sprouted that was meant to be part of the good harvest. Everything the Lord does, whether it's blessing or whether it's judgment, is meant for the sake of a harvest of souls. Judgments are meant to shake people out of their stupor, shake people out of their complacency. Isaiah 26 and verse 9 says this, When your judgments are in the earth, the people will learn of your righteousness. When judgments are in the earth, people will learn of your righteousness. Today they're trying to ordain chaplains, especially in the U.S. Navy, chaplains that would be chaplains of, um, uh, uh, what do you call people that don't believe in God? Atheist. They're trying to ordain atheist chaplains in the military. They're trying to ordain and make chaplains who are atheists for the atheist, I guess, believers or the atheist non-believers in God in the military. But I guarantee you, if they were facing bombs and missiles and bullets, and they're on the front line, and then here's a Christian chaplain, man of God, and a chaplain who doesn't believe in God, I guarantee you they're all going to go to the man of God for prayer. <laughs> Are you hearing me? <laughs> they're not going to go to the one who's an unbeliever because he's got no word of hope for these people. Yeah, I guess we're going to die, you know. I guess, I don't know what's going to happen next. At least over here. Turn to Jesus. He'll save you. Hallelujah, you'll have eternal life. I promise you this is only the beginning right now. There's hope after death. And Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And he wants all men to be saved. That's why he's long-suffering, beloved. Now let's go back to the parable of the dragnet. The net is cast into the sea. The sea in the Bible is symbolic of evil. It's symbolic of turmoil. The sea is never a good phrase in the Bible. To the, even to the Jewish world today, the word sea is not a positive thing. It's a negative thing. If you remember in Revelation chapter 13, a dragon comes out of the sea. In the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter 7, there is a beast, four beasts come out of the sea. Revelation chapter 17 and 18 explicitly tells us that the sea represents peoples, nations, tribes, and all kinds of people. In other words, the sea is symbolic of the tumult of the nations. It's humanity. It's the sea of humanity. And the net is thrown out into the sea of humanity. If there's no net, there is no gospel. If there's no gospel, there's no souls. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, preach the gospel. Tells us in Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. He says, I'm with you to the very end. Mark 16, he says, lay hands on the sick when you preach the gospel. Cast out devils when you preach the gospel. Heal the sick when you preach the gospel. 
Gospel is a net that brings hope to the nations. And beloved, that is our responsibility. Go to verse 48. It says there in verse 48, which when the net was full, they drew it to the shore and then they sat down together and they divided the, the, the fish, some into good vessels. They divided the good and put them into vessels, but they threw the bad away. The good were thrown into, good, into vessels, or the boats, the boats, and the bad were thrown out. When the net is full, I believe that God knows the right time for his son to return. It's the fullness of time. You know, Jesus came the very first time. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin. Jesus came at the right moment in human history. If he would have come today, the very first time, the gospel would not have been as effective as it has, as it has been spread. It was a perfect timing for Christ to come. The Roman Empire was in complete charge. Jews had some form of favor with the Roman Empire. Jesus came, born of a born of a born of a, a virgin, born in Jeru born in Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. He came at the perfect timing so that the gospel could go forth. Everything was the 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 roads of transportation to to the entire world was made it accessible to preach the gospel in a way that possibly today it would have not as been as acceptable. Jesus says he came at the, at the fullness of time. That's the first coming. And I believe that the second coming will be at the fullness of time. Only he knows when that last soul is going to be brought into the net. And he'll come at that moment. But even when he comes at that moment, beloved, we have to understand that in the end times, not only is there a fullness of souls unto righteousness, there's going to be fullness of souls unto wickedness. Isaiah chapter 60 says this, Arise and shine, your light has come. For the glory of the Lord is risen among you. Darkness is going to cover the earth, but grows darkness to people. You see, I think some people in the church have this mentality that, well, the church is going to save the whole earth. And we're going to infiltrate every aspect of society all the mountains of society and then we're going to turn the keys of the kingdom to Jesus Bible says he's got the keys not us when he comes he comes to rescue his bride from possible extinction that's what the Bible says he comes to rescue his bride, and the bride is going to be bold they're not going to be cowering in faith but the Lord comes to rescue the bride He's coming because someone's been messing with his girlfriend. Think about that. Hey, think about it. I know, I know Pastor Jason. He's a, he's a tough dude. I guarantee you somebody broke in and tried to mess with your wife. Have mercy on that person. If you got a gun, if you got a, you got a bat, you got whatever, you'll use whatever you have to protect your family. How many men would do the exact same thing, right? There'd be no mercy spared. You think... God or the Son of God is any different? People confuse the Jesus of the Gospels with the Jesus of the book of Revelation. The Jesus of the Gospels came riding on a donkey. 
that Jesus of the gospel was wearing a shepherd was wearing a, a shepherd's cloak, that Jesus of the gospel had a staff, that Jesus of the gospel laid hands and healed the sick, that Jesus of the gospel was casting out devils, that Jesus of the gospel was hugging people and loving them and kissing them. But when they get to the Jesus of Revelation, they don't like that Jesus. He's wearing a king's robe. He's got a shepherd, he's got a scepter in his hand and a sword coming out of his mouth. And he's riding a war stallion. Hello? And not only is he riding a war stallion, he's got tens and tens of thousands times ten thousands of angels and the redeemed of humanity riding on white horses as well. He's coming back with the host of heaven, beloved. And he's not coming to say, oh, how, how, let, let, let me bless you here. Let me touch you here. The Bible is clear what happens when he comes. The Bible says his robe is dripping with blood. And they ask him, why is your robe Dripped in blood, he says, because I've trampled the winepress. In the fierceness of my wrath. We don't realize it that when Jesus comes back, it'll be the fullness of all things. Yes, there'll be the fullness of souls in the kingdom of God. But there's also the fullness of the wicked. The parable that you've already taught on, the parable of the tares, you already taught on that? Do you remember? Shall we go ahead and pluck out and pull out the weeds like we do in our garden? How many have pulled out weeds before and by mistake you pulled out the good seed as well, right? My wife's got her garden. She's smiling. She, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus says, no. Let them both grow together until when? Harvest. What is harvest? Fullness. When harvest time comes, that means the seed has grown to fullness. My wife, she's from Indiana, and I remember the first time I went to Indiana to go visit her family, I couldn't believe the amount of cornfields that I saw. I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe, man, them things, them things are tall. They're so tall, and, you know, to see all this corn grow, all from one little seed. What I was seeing was fullness of harvest. And we like talking about the fullness of the good harvest, but the reality is there's also the fullness of the evil harvest at the same time. Jesus says they're both going to grow together until harvest time. But I have good news. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And I believe the Holy Spirit is raising up. We're about to see, and we're starting to see it. I used to say, we got to pray and believe for revival. And the Lord rebuked me one day on a prayer call that I was doing. He says, don't say revival is coming. Revival is already here. Depends on your perspective. If you're quickened and you're revived, then you have revival. And you can infect others with revival depending on how you communicate and how you live. You don't have to, listen, you don't have to come to church to get healed. You don't have to come to church and get delivered. It's a good place to get healed and delivered. You don't have to come to church to, to, to hear the word of God. You can get the word of God yourself. But I am not saying not to be connected with the body. That's not what I'm saying. So don't leave out of here and say, well, Pastor Carlos says I can get the word of God. I don't need my pastor. I never said that. Do not forsake the gathering together of believers as some do. 
But as you see the day approaching, gather together even more. We need the body. But at the same time, we grow in our intimate relationship with the Lord. As wonderful as the music was, and boy, it's great. You have a tremendous word. I talked to my wife. I go, man, they got good worship here. You have good worship. I can't wait for your people to lead worship on that prayer, prayer time. But you know what? I don't need music to pray for somebody. I don't need to feel the goosebumps to know that God is with me. Because we, be, we can be quickened and revived by our intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. Let's go on real quick. The net is full. And when the net is full, in verse 48, the net is drawn to where? It's drawn to a shore. What happens to the fish that are drawn to shore? As long as, even if they're in the net and they're in the water, they can, at least they can survive for a season. But the moment they're brought to the shore, what happens? They begin to suffocate. They begin to die. Are you hearing me? Beloved, our lives will be drawn to the shore one day. And it's at that moment, death, that we will give an account for our lives. Each and every one of us, after the death, after the first death, there's two deaths. After the first death is when the angels will be released and then they will be vessels that God will use to separate. The kingdom is all about separation. Think about that. At first, it's, it's indiscriminate. Anybody can come in. But when it comes to the sure time or the day of the sure, when it comes to the end of the age, then there's a separation process. At first, it's indiscriminate. The net is thrown out. We don't know what we're going to catch. We're hoping we're going to catch something good. A grouper. A good sea bass. Salmon. But you don't want some, I mean, I know, I know some people eat catfish, but I won't eat catfish. It's okay. Everything is blessed, right? Everything's to be accepted. But you know what I'm talking about. Certain, certain fish are probably not as good as other fish because they're not scavengers. Amen? Oh, a little quiet there. I, mean, I might have offended somebody and lost somebody right there. But in reality, the gospel is a gospel of separation. Watch this. Jesus talks about the dead and the living. He talks about sheeps and goats. Right? He talks about wheat and tares. And here he talks about good fish and bad fish. We may not know who the bad fish are, but he knows. And the reality is this, the bad fish, unfortunately, are among us. That's the reality. It's his mercy that he allows bad fish in church. Remember, the fish that were not caught in the net, we know their destination already. But the fish that are bad, that are in the net, they have a profession of faith. They look like Christians, they smell like Christians, they even act like Christians, but many of them don't live like Christians. And only God knows who they are. This is a warning for each and every one of us. That if we claim to, if the Bible, Paul tells Timothy, everyone who names the name of Christ, let them depart from iniquity. Revelation chapter 18 verse 4. Major warning. 
the judgment of Babylon, the angel cries out, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her judgments and in her wrath. God gave a way of escape for the Jewish people in the book of Exodus. That last tenth plague. If I can have someone come to the keyboard, that would be great. That last, tenth, that last plague, that tenth plague, a way of escape by putting blood on the, out, on the doors of your house, outside the lintel and the doorpost. And as long as there was blood on that house, and as long as you were in the house, you had to be in the house to be protected from the angel of death. And if you were a Jew, if you were a believer in Jehovah, and if you weren't in the house, even though they had blood on the house, but if you weren't in the house, you weren't protected. Or if you were a Jew and you were in the house, but there was no blood on the outside of the house, you weren't protected. You could be in the house, but there's no blood on you. Hello? You could be in the house, but if the blood hasn't been applied upon your soul, and only God knows who, that, who those individuals are. Only God knows. When the day comes, he's going to send forth his angels. I mean, and it's not those, those little two-foot, three-foot, baby chubby-looking angels we're talking about. We're talking about warring angels. When these angels are released in the book of Revelation, I mean, just read Revelation 14. The two, there's two harvests in Revelation. The harvest of the wicked and the harvest of the righteous. And in both cases, the Lord says, take out your sickle. Swing your sickle. Reap the harvest for it's full unto ripe. It's full unto harvest. The day coming, the Lord's going to release his angels. And his angels will be sent throughout the four corners of the earth. And they're going to gather and separate the good from the bad. The good from the bad. Go with me real quick. Matthew 24, almost done here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Look with me in Matthew 24, verse 29. I'll close with this last verse. Matthew 24, verse 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. We're talking about the last days. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then the tribes of the earth will mourn. For they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is actually Zechariah 12. This is when the nation of Israel gets saved. All of Israel gets saved. Remember Paul says that in Romans? All of Israel gets saved. Now, here it's talking about all the nations, but Zechariah is talking about how Israel, the nation of Israel, respond. They're going to see Jesus appear in the clouds, and they're going to realize, oh, look at his marks on his hands. Look at, this, look at the wound in his side and his feet. And they're going to mourn for him, and they're going to realize. In an instant, they get saved, and they get spared from the Antichrist. And he goes on to say, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Remember that? At the sound of the last, Paul says, the last trumpet, right? The last trumpet. He will send his angels with the sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect 
from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is the separation process. The Holy Spirit will do, God will do through the ministry of angels. Angels are not just there to watch over us. Angels are not there just to protect us. Angels are very much part of God's end time judgments. I mean, honestly, if you just read the book of Revelation, the seven trumpets are blown by angels. Did you know that? And the seven bowls are poured out by angels. God uses angels in the last days to bring about his intended purposes that the kingdom of God may come forth. Let's bow our heads if we can for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless you, Holy Spirit, for your preaching of your word. I thank you, Lord, that in this house you're raising up messengers that will proclaim your word unapologetically. That even if it's not popular with the culture, even, Lord, if it's not acceptable, even if it's not the right, the acceptable message with the, with the culture, with the woke culture, but that from this house, you will raise up men and women, young and old, who will fear you more than they will fear rejection. That they will honor your word more than they will honor what society, the opinion of society, more than anything else. I thank you for the faithfulness. And I really sense that, that this pulpit is sacred. This pulpit is a pulpit that preaches truth unapologetically. And because of that, the Lord will reward each and every one of you who will hold to the word and keep the word and run with the word. Lord, I just thank you for that. I ask for a fresh anointing upon each and every one. Now for the sake of those that are watching all over internet right now, social media, and maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's one person or two people. Maybe everyone is fine, but just think, you know, I'm throwing the net out. Perhaps you think, well, I'm one of those fish, but I'm not sure if I'm a good fish or a bad fish. You don't know for sure. Maybe as I've been speaking here this morning, maybe you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that your life isn't measuring up, that Jesus did die for a holy people, that he did pay a price for a purpose. And maybe you're here today or definitely those of you on social media, you're saying, yes, I want to make sure I'm right with God. Or I've never given my life to Jesus and I want to surrender my life to the Lord. I've been away from God. I've been away from the church. But I want to know for sure that I'm secure in the Lord. Maybe you know you've been floundering like a fish. Maybe you've been floundering, but you know in your heart, i got to make a concrete decision, a concrete commitment. Beginning today, I'm going to be secure, and I want to be a part of what the Lord is going to do in these last days. With every head bowed, every eye.